In this episode of the Church Security Roll Call, we're going to be discussing to shoot or not to shoot. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Chris with Sheepdog Church Security and this is your Church Security Roll Call. Today we're going to be discussing the article, The Critical Choice. If you would like to read that article, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net and look under the News tab. So let's start in the Bible as we always do. This is Matthew 26, verse 52. And it reads like this. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up again thy sword into its place, for all that take the sword shall perish with the sword. A great verse for us today because using deadly force, or really any kind of force, really is based on the context, right? In this case, Peter, Jesus had told Peter and the other disciples many times that his whole purpose to coming to earth was to die and to die for our sins. And so Peter, not understanding the context, uses force against uh, one of the servants that came for Jesus, cutting off his ear, and Basically, he didn't understand the context. He didn't understand what was going on, and he used force when he should not have. Now, the good news for us is we'll never face the kind of situation that Peter faced, but still, context is a very important element or consideration in any sort of use of force, especially deadly force. So, let's. Um, before I continue, I do want to remind you, Share this video with other people on your team. Share it with other people at your church. And then get the download, get the notes where you can, it kind of summarizes all of this. And then you can then discuss this with your team. And this is just one of the ways that you can keep your team members and other staff and volunteers sharp on, in this case, use of force laws, when to use it, when not to use it. And it's just a way to keep... Uh, Keep basically your team trained and ready for these type of situations. So let's begin in the news. This is uh, news stories that have uh, the use of a weapon justified. So the first one is Tarrant County, Texas, Texas, September 29, 2020. A grand jury decided not to charge a church security guard with murder. On December 29, 2019, Jack Wilson shot and killed a gunman at his church in White Settlement. The, um, the assailant had already killed two church members during the Sunday morning service. Um, until uh, Under Texas law, a homicide of any kind is investigated under a grand jury, and that he was acquitted from the grand jury. Okay, Montgomeryville, Pennsylvania, April 24, 2016. A young man visiting a church sat in an already claimed seat. He responded loudly uh, when he... Um, when told that the place on the pew belonged to someone else. The pastor and the usher came, spoke to him, and calmed him down. Everything's good at this point. A middle-aged man, who was self-appointed guard, then came to the young man with a drawn gun, displayed a concealed carry permit card, and demanded that he leave the service. The young man said that the badge and the gun were fake. Then he threw a punch. The guard fired the, his gun and the young man died. The guard was arrested and charged with murder. So in this case, 
without any other details, this guard killed this guy because he was sitting in the wrong pew. Not good. Indianapolis, Indiana, August 28, 2020 and April 27, 2021. A security guard and the owner of, the, of a security service company responded to a disturbance at apartment complex his company covered. A woman in the car had been allowed um, had been in a loud argument with an uh, someone in the complex. The guard fatally shot the woman after yelling "gun." The guard was arrested with and charged with murder. He claimed self-defense. A handgun was found on the front passenger seat of the woman's car, and he said that he she tried to run him over and his employees with her car. Um, the jury acquitted him. Okay, so here's in this situation. He approaches a vehicle, loud conversation, and based on the, what's stated here, is she tried to run him over and he had to use deadly force. And he was acquitted um, from the jury. Chicago, Illinois, March 28, 2018. An armed man who was already a convicted felon entered her church during a Wednesday night meeting. Brandishing a firearm, he said, this is a robbery. A security guard intervened. Um, the robber a shot and wounded the guard who returned fire, wounding the robber. The robber fled, but, it, um, but was shortly arrested by police. He was still in the hospital um, when his arraignment was held. Okay, another situation, an armed robbery. The security guard felt like the only right thing to do was to use force, deadly force in this situation. Certainly counted, right? He had already, I mean, for goodness sake, he was already shot by the bad guy, returned fire, wounding the robber, stopping the attack. All right, observing and participating in simulation training gives journalists others insight into split-second police decisions. So this one is Miami, Florida, November 2016. A reporter for the NBC Miami used a simulation trainer um, in the Miami-Dade Police Training Center. These scenarios were shoot and don't shoot scenarios. Once he failed to shoot when he should, um, in a traffic stop scenario, he shot a simulated drunk driver several times. He said this gave him new appreciation for what police officers face um, in deciding whether to shoot. You know, I really think that community activists, and we're going to cover a story on that, we're talking about media, participating in this kind of training really opens their eyes. And the same thing is it really opens the eyes to us. Now, up here in Minnesota, there's a, a gun range. It's REI. And you can go there and they have shoot and don't shoot scenarios. This is a very good idea if you have anything like that in your area to take advantage of this with your team because it really is going to open your eyes. It's going to help you make these decisions better. <clears throat> when we do active shooter training and we're running different scenarios, you should throw in situations where the bad guy shoots a spouse or, or, or the pastor or somebody and then drops the gun. So when your team comes around the corner to engage with them, the gun is not near him and they have to make a decision of shoot or don't shoot. And it's good to add this to our training to kind of introduce the idea at least that not all situations are going to end with gunplay or with deadly force. All right, next one, Houston, Texas and Phoenix, Arizona. 
uh, January 2017 in Houston, a Black Panther leader took part in a training scenario for police. In one situation, he squeezed the taser trigger, not knowing what it was um, that was in the hand of the suspect. The Panther said he, um, he was so tensed up that he would have shot no matter what was in the hand. In Arizona, an activist, pastor, who had led protests after the police shooting um, went through simulation training in uh, Maricopa County um, at their training center. In one scenario, he fired when a man tried to help him, help him rushed in. <laughs> um, both activists came away with an appreciation for law enforcement officers' split-second decisions. Um, they advised young people at the training center um, to be respectful and watch their motives when dealing with police and security. Very good advice. A person with law enforcement experience shared his evaluation of, new, of news stories of someone who fired a warning shot when he felt threatened. So this is Wheeling, West Virginia, October 20, um, 2014. A man and his fiance were walking down the street after a Saturday evening Sunday school class. A group of adolescent males followed them. The couple alleged that the young men made them feel unsafe, especially when one moved toward them in what seemed to be a threatening manner. The individual expressed express a desire to rape the woman and cut the man. The woman called 911. The man took the woman's concealed carry handgun because she was too shaky to aim. He fired a warning shot into the air as police were um, just arriving on the scene. The man was arrested and charged with wanton, wanton endangerment. Um, police did not follow um, the nine young men who fled when the shot was fired. Jeremy Denning evaluated the incident looking for how the totality of the circumstances might bear on the case, depending on um, what the facts are. As far as he could see, um, there was likely not an imminent jeopardy which would justify displaying a weapon, let alone firing a warning shot, especially in urban setting. And so here you have the situation where this couple felt threatened. And instead of engaging them with their firearm, instead they pulled their firearm out, they shot a warning sign, and the kids ran away just as the police were arriving. And then the, the Monday morning quarterback comes in, and I don't know who this person is, Jeffrey Denning. You know, he may be very knowledged and skillful in what he knows. But, um, you know, he decides that this was unnecessary. And so this is kind of something that we have to keep in mind. Is the judge, the jury, the media, and basically anyone else reading, even sometimes subject matter experts, maybe Jeffrey Denning is one of these, you know, they come in and they, in their hindsight, if you will, they evaluate things differently than the way you saw them at the time. And this is something that we have to keep in mind. It's not, it's not our friends, it's not our safety team members that are sitting on the jury. It's other people, it's other subject matter experts that are evaluating what your force was and they, and they decide if it was right or wrong. And so this is just something that we have to consider. We want to ensure that any use of force that we use 
is so within the realm of yes, force was needed that um, it cannot be questioned later. Now, there's another statement out there, and I don't know if I entirely 100% condone this statement, but I'm sure you've heard of it. It's better to be tried by 12 than carried by 6. Certainly, there is a time that you have to act based on what you understand is going on. And you're going to take self-defense measures or protecting other people's measures. Just realize that there's there's very likely going to be, be people that come in afterward and say, hey, that was a good idea or that was not or, you know, or was not a good idea, you know, that kind of deal. So just be alert of that. And I'm kind of going off the article here, kind of a tangent, but this is why it's essentially important. Like this is like basic, you have to absolutely do this, is you have to have some sort of legal protection. Now, I like U.S. Law Shield because it's not an insurance company, so they don't have to defend the insurance company and the stakeholders in the insurance company. Rather, it's like having an attorney on retainer. They belong to you. Their job is to defend you. That's their responsibility, you. And so to have that kind of legal protection because stuff happens, right? I mean, what if it was you and your wife or you and your spouse or your kid and you're walking down the road and you're being followed by a large group of thugs, if you will, who are talking about attacking you, stabbing you and raping your you know, your significant other. I mean, what do you do? How do you handle that situation? Certainly calling 911 is a good idea. You know, let the police handle it, but where do you draw the line? I don't know because you and I both understand that, you know, it only takes the slightest little adjustment to a situation to change what an appropriate response is. So that's what this program is all about. Let's talk about considerations on using deadly force and quite frankly any force at all you know what do we look at how do we how do we make these kind of decisions so one of the things we have to look at is threat level what is the actual threat level that you're facing now in our training we talk about imminent threat right so imminent threat has three parts to it the first part is intent on the bad guy right now, intent can be communicated verbally, like I'm going to kill you, or in the case of the, the, the kids, the thugs following that couple, you know, they communicated that they were gonna stab him and that they were going to rape her. So the threat is communicated verbally. Now, it can also be communicated through physical, right? I mean, if I just simply pull out a gun and point it at you, I'm kind of communicating my intent, right? my physical actions support what I'm doing. The next thing is the means. Do they have the means to harm? Now, going back to this situation again, you have these kids following them. They say, we're going to cut them and then we're going to rape her. Do they have the means to do it? Well, certainly it's a large group of males. The chances of them having a knife, even though you didn't see it, is still reasonable to believe that there was a, could be a knife present and they're verbalizing the threat and they have numbers to do that. Um, the next thing is opportunity. Are they in a position where they could do it? So in this case, certainly they are. They would only have to run forward, you know, 10, 20 steps 
and they would nine people jumping on two people definitely communicates an immediate threat an opportunity that they could in fact so they had intent they had means and they had opportunity and so they took action now he decided not to use deadly force instead he just shot a wire uh, a warning shot over their heads or whatever into the air and they fled and so that's typically how things are done now this denning you know maybe Jeffrey Denning has information that wasn't covered in these news reports. You know, maybe he knew something we didn't know. But I'm telling you right now that Jeffrey Denning, in the absence of additional information, could very well be wrong in this situation. But see how it can turn against you? It doesn't matter what's right and wrong anymore. It's about public perception. And it's about so-called experts that are coming forward making opinions about what you did and did not do. And so, um, but I'm going to tell you generally, if you have an imminent threat using force or deadly force, if necessary, is completely acceptable. The next question that they're going to ask is, was the avoidability of violence possible? So in a lot of states, what they have is the, um, is the duty to retreat. And basically what they're asking is this. Is there was, it, was there a possibility that another solution would have worked? So and then maybe in this example, maybe this is not a perfect example for this, is could they have run away? You know, they called 911. Could they have created more distance? Could they have escaped into an apartment building or a business or something to that effect? We don't really have the details to this situation. But the idea is, is that if we can avoid to use force, we should. A good example might be is there was a football coach at a school where a kid pulled out a gun. The coach was in the right place at the right time and basically tackled the kid to the ground. Now, deadly force may have been authorized in that situation. This kid, by all, um, by all evidence, suggested that these other students in this, little, in this chow hall, in this cafeteria, were at risk, an imminent threat of deadly force. But because the coach was in the right place at the right time, he could simply tackle the kid to the ground, and that was all the force that was needed to disarm the kid and control the situation. And that's something that we have to think about too. Is there another alternative that is feasible and can be done in a way that does not increase the level of risk? And so that's just one of those challenges. And that's why I always say how there's, you know, there's a hundred factors of consideration. You have precisely one second to make a decision. And you have to be able to make the right decision because these Monday morning quarterbacks are going to come along and really bring all these things up to question, uh, into question. So things that they're going to look at is verbal de-escalation. Could verbal de-escalation work? Now, in the case of the thugs following the couple, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Could they have said, hey, listen, we've called police um, and they're on their way. Would that have deterred them? I don't know. We can't know. Once again, it's Monday morning quarterbacking. Um, next thing is stalling for time, right? Sometimes verbal de-escalation is not about actually de-escalating. 
It's about maintaining a certain level of safety until police can get there to resolve the issue. And so verbal de-escalation, stalling for time, whatever you can do. And then is less lethal force available to you? One of the big mistakes, and I've heard this so many times, and quite frankly, I'm gonna call it absolute foolishness. And it's this basic idea. If you carry a less lethal weapon, like self, you know, like defensive spray, something to that effect, then what's gonna happen is they're gonna say, well, you had this other option and you didn't take it. And they say, therefore, it's better just to carry a gun and shoot everybody that threatens you. That's not true at all. What it's really gonna come down to is why did you only have a gun? Why didn't you try other things? Why were you not prepared for other things? You know, I've said this before and I'll say it again. If you train yourself and your team to be nothing but hammers, everything will look like a nail. And that what that, that is gonna result in is this, is deadly force being used way too frequently and it's gonna result in too many people getting sent to jail that were defending somebody else, themselves or somebody else. Um, it's just not a good idea, or at least lawsuits. Your team has to be trained not only very well in the use of a firearm, if your church uses firearms, but also defensive spray, unarmed self-defense, that kind of stuff. All right, next thing is chances of success. You know, this is part of your evaluation, right? You look at the situation that you're in. In the, in the case of this football coach, his chances of success were extremely high, or at least he was very confident in his ability to take this kid down to the ground and prevent anyone from being killed. And so he took it. Now, you and I both know that this can become very gray, right? Depending on the situation, like always, are you in a position where you can use a lesser level of force in order to control a situation, um, then you should take it. And really, I can't, you know, we could, I mean, we could sit here for hours talking about, well, what if this and what if that? And really what we learn is this, there's so many factors involved. What is the size of the offender? What is the size of the, you know, defender? You know, what's the gender? of the each one? What are the weapons involved for each one? What is the skill level for each one? What is the health level of each one? Which goes into age, what's the age of each one? There's all kinds of these factors that have to be considered um, before we decide to use any sort of force and what is our chance of success? You know, as I get older, you know, my chances of success on tackling, you know, somebody or bringing somebody down is reduced considerably. You know, I live in a very rural town, lots of farmers. These good old boys are throwing bales of hay into a freaking, you know, into a, a loft all day long. They could probably pick me up and throw me, you know, across the room or across the road you know, things change, right? What are, see how all these categories kind of come together? And so here's the, here's the bad news. The bad news is this, I can't tell you, nobody can tell you in what situation is it right to use deadly force and what situation you should use a lever, lesser level of force. 
as a general rule. Now we can come up with the simple ones, right? I can say, you know, the guy's got a, you know, handgun and he's currently blasting into a cl cr crowd. You know, deadly force would be authorized. Or the guy is not using deadly force; he's just pounding the tar out of his spouse. You know, obviously deadly force would not be authorized, but defensive spray would be. We can all talk about the easy ones, but you know, in real life, things are never easy. <laughs> and so, um, this is something to think about. This is something to research. Read these different news stories. Read these different case files of things that have happened. See how lawsuits, follow up beyond the criminal. Look at the lawsuits that occur afterwards. And then what was the conclusion of those things? And just start to consider, or at least entertain in your mind right now, that these situations are far too complex. Very complex. And every, all it takes is this. One little detail. One little thing that can totally change on what level of force was correct. And it really depends on your knowledge and your understanding of the situation doing the right thing, and then hoping that the Monday morning quarterbacks uh, don't take you too much into task. So other than that, um, before I let you go, I just want to talk about um, our upcoming second quarter. It starts November 13th. And so if you and your team want to join me every Sunday, essentially, skipping holidays, and uh, learn about these materials. We have different eight different modules, lots to learn, a lot of baseline, basic understanding of things. Our, our whole point here is to lay a foundation in which then you and your team can build on. What I've heard from law enforcement officers, I've heard this from soldiers, I've heard about this professionals in security, all of them, despite their experience, despite their understanding, are have said this is great training because it gets them thinking about things maybe they haven't thought about in a while. It also puts it in the context of the church or houses of worship. And that's a different animal altogether. There's a big difference between, you know, patrolling the streets as a cop or a detective or whatnot or being a, you know, a former soldier or a current soldier or security, all these are, it's a completely different animal. Houses of worship are a completely different animal and we have to be trained in that. And I would go so far as to say certified in that. So, um, you know, you're thinking in the right and correct way. So I'm gonna challenge you, if you haven't been through this kind of training, you definitely need it. Um, and like I said, we start November 13th all over again for you and your team. It's going to be great. We have four quarters a year. We're going into the second quarter starting on November 13th. Jump on. It's great stuff. It's going to help you a great deal. Other than that, if you like this video, please comment, share, interact with it. This is our way. It does two things, really. Number one, it encourages me that this program is a program that people actually like. You know, I, I don't want to, you know, just like anyone else, I don't want to waste time. If people don't appreciate what's going on here, I can get rid of it and I can spend this, you know, hour and a half, two hours I spend every week on this program on something else. So please, if you like it, let me know. I want to hear from you. I want to know that I'm doing the right thing and I'm help giving you a product that you want. Um, the next thing it does is it tells the Google and YouTube algorithms that this is a program that's worth sharing. 
and that means it's going to be in front of more people. They're going to learn these techniques. They're going to learn this information, and they're going to be able to make their church safer, just like you're making your church safer. So other than that, thank you so much for joining us today, and hey, let's be careful out there. This program is made for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice.